Welcome, everybody. It's time for another episode of Hollywood Godfather. And tonight we have an extraordinary, interesting guest. I'm just meeting him. Pat knows a lot about him. So I'm going to have Pat, my compadre, my co-author. And we have another book coming out. We got so much going on. God bless Pat I'm, Piccarelli. I'm just hearing all this stuff, man. <laughs> I mean, we're working. We're working, trying to, trying to do different things in the industry. Anyway. That said, uh, I want to start off by saying, before I introduce our guest, one thing I've discovered about uh, Gianni and myself, we are organized crime snobs. Did you know that, Gianni? I didn't know that, no. Okay, I'm going to tell you why. Because we've been concentrating for the last four years of this podcast, almost four years, about uh, organized crime uh, in America in big cities, uh, there are other uh, areas in this wonderful country of ours where organized crime proliferates that I was totally unaware of. Uh, I met our guest, Jake Mulligan, uh, uh, actor, journalist, film producer, and uh, he gets down and dirty when he goes after uh, uh, subjects to do a documentary on. He uh, goes right to the source. And uh, for the first half of the show, we're going to hear some interesting stuff about uh, a part of this country that you would never think uh, had the crime problem that they do. So without further delay, let me introduce our guest, Jake Mulligan. Thank you guys for having me on. No, Patrick, Jake, it's good to I, see you again, you, man. man. Yeah, you know, uh, Jake and I, you know, I, I have a habit of doing this. I, I have friends that I've never met in person. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we've known each other about, what, 12 years almost? Now? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> First time I'm actually seeing the guy, other than in film. He's been in, he's been in a few movies that, that we'll talk about later. But, uh, yeah, we've been talking for years, uh, and uh, we haven't met in person. Uh, he's going to come to Pittsburgh shortly, and, and we will get together. But anyway. Why? <laughs> yeah. I Why did he go to Pittsburgh? I, I was hey, man, that's the greatest city in the world, Pittsburgh. I think so. Now, okay. anyway. I love well, it, man. After, after looking at what uh, New York has turned into, I uh, well agree with you. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, Gianni and I worked together for years, and I never met the guy until our book was actually out. <laughs> Is that why? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Jake, uh, tell us uh, something about who you are and what your background is before we get uh, down and dirty here. Uh, yeah, I... Um... You know, I've been in the film industry for 16 years, either acting, producing, directing. Uh, I was a special ed teacher for 12 years, primarily working with students with autism or language-based learning disabilities. Uh, actually, my master's thesis is doing film programs for students that are on the spectrum and uh, students with language-based disabilities to like help them meet their social um, academic and all the kind of goals they're going for. So yeah, films, eating it, living it, breathing it for my entire adult life, man. Well, I, I commend you on that because I myself, one of my uh, hobbies came to be, because I made a novena when I had polio in 49, if I ever got out of the hospital, that I'd give back to children. And I'm blessed because I built three homes for Down's children. Which, oh, that's cool. Yeah, which automatically brought me autism and 
all the other elements. Oh, yeah. But uh, as you would know. But oh, they're amazing people, man. They really are. Oh, it, was, they are. Uh, it was a fun time. I adopted well, seven of them. Really? Well, we had to because of the fact I found something interesting that you probably know this. Um, the Jewish faith really don't want children who aren't perfect. I'm, I hate to say that. And they would give them up to Catholic charity. And my older sister and I, in the 60s and 70s, started adopting them that early on. Really? Yeah. But um, I hope that's changed now, but I don't think it well, has. I, I, would, I would hope so. I would think so. Uh, anyway, Jake, uh, like I, you know, I, I started off the program a little uh, tongue-in-cheek about uh, Gianni and uh, my, my experience with organized crime. Uh, I was totally unfamiliar with some of the stuff you told me over the years, and uh, let, let's 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 talk about the bucolic, calm South. So you know this uh, this project I'm working on now, and it's really interesting because there's not a whole lot on this era. Um, it primarily was a uh, fifty uh, the decade, you know, early fifties into the early sixties. And then some into the 70s. And, you know, uh, a buddy of mine, Chris Webster, he's actually the bartender, daytime bartender at the joint I hang out here in Bowling Green. Uh, he was telling me, his granddad was telling him all these stories about when Bowling Green was referred to as Little Chicago. And he's like, man, that should be your next dock. And I was Bowling like, Green, get out of here. Yeah, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Yeah, we're about, we sit about, an, we're between Nashville and Louisville. So we're about an hour from Nashville, Tennessee. About an hour and a half from Louisville, where you know, home of the Kentucky Derby and Bowling Green's home of the Corvette. And uh, yeah, I grew up here and couldn't wait to get the hell out of here. And so my buddy was like, You should do a doc about Bowling Green. I was like, There's no fucking way I'm doing a documentary about this boring town. Nothing great ever happened here, yada, yada, yada. Well, then after saying that, it got stuck in my craw for like four months. And I woke up one morning. And just started researching it. I had granddad at the doctors. And I was like, man, they were blowing people up left and right in this place for like a decade. Were, were, were they under the umbrella of Chicago? You know, that's that's one of the interesting things. So with uh, my partner, actually, who just came on today, his name's Gary West. I'm going to kind of plug his book, if I may. Um, Please. He just wrote this book, Murder on Younger's Creek Road, uh, about a murder that happened in uh, Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And... There was definitely influence here with the mob. Um, I think they were called the real name. Little Chicago actually became um, kind of a tongue in cheek nickname for that decade just because of the level of crime and murder and uh, all of it, which, again, you drive around Bowling Green now. You don't you wouldn't believe it. It's a small, quiet, you know, university town. But in this decade, uh, Bowling Green was the only wet uh, city in Warren County, um, and so everybody. Uh, we were explain, the for, uh, huh? Jake, explain what that is. What you meant? Wet. Wet. Oh, so we still have counties and cities here in Kentucky, and there are places throughout the South where they don't sell booze in any shape or form. You can't get it at restaurants. You can't get it at liquor stores. That Why? Means you have to go to. It sounds like Salt Lake City. <laughs> it's Bible Belt, baby. You know. Oh, okay, <laughs> there you go. That's why. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, what, what we try to do, Pat and I, because, you know, we, we are more worldly, I guess, than some of our listeners. We don't take it for granted. So we may ask you every once in a while to identify what wet is because, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
We don't want people to think you're talking about people walking around without pampers on or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a little bit of that, too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, these guys, they really took advantage of it. You know, it was it kind of kicked off like organized crime in, in most places with the Volstead Act, you know, and prohibition. Well, Bowling Green wouldn't become wet until like uh, I think it was the early 60s. I'm just beginning to really get into all this. But um, it was notorious for prostitution, gambling. It was kind of blown my mind. It makes sense because it's just cash money. But there was a big and a lot of murders surrounding uh, pinball machines on top of, you know, like slot machines and stuff they'd have in some of the, uh, the more underground casinos. So it's just this really bizarre decade. Um, during yeah, that time, yeah. um, during that time, Bowling Green, it was only like 45,000 residents at that time. You got to think even with that, I think there were less than 30 cops. Uh, the annual homicide rate in Bowling Green was seven times that of the national average going wow. through that decade. And wh what's their average income, just so we can understand? Uh, Bowling Green's a really solid, higher, uh, you know, kind of middle-class city. So I'd say average okay. income here. Okay. Yeah, average income. There's a lot of uh, factory work, um, a lot of rural areas, obviously, you know, Kentucky farming. Um, and it's a university town, a lot of healthcare jobs, service industry. At one point, we had more restaurants per capita than any city in the world. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a really bizarre little place. It really is. Jake, the, the era that we're talking about uh, was uh, was the income per capita what it is now? Everybody rolling in money? Or uh, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, you know, I, I Bowling Green's always been one of those really weird cities that's kind of, even when there was like the Great Recession and all that, it's, it's kind of in this great economic bubble. Um, people here can usually stay in stride. Uh, I think the big issue at that time really was that even, you know, with the component and it's a very religious -y town, um, less more now, I think, than what it used to be. But big Baptist city. Um, I think then it was just the booze. You know, it was the gambling, the booze, the, uh, the man, just all of it. And they were really going crazy. There's this uh, and I, I still need to read this biography, but there was a really famous uh, brothel here called Pauline's that was like uh, I knew her. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was like, surprising. I was like, if anybody heard about it, but yeah, <laughs> couldn't surprise me. <laughs> so, yeah, and it just—it really is—it it all really just centered around the bootlegging and the gambling uh, during this time too. Bowling Green was HQ for at the time the largest car theft ring. Uh, in the history of the U.S. at that point. Wow. And it went from, like, Bama, Tennessee. Yeah, and I, I grew up here and had no idea any of this shit happened. <laughs> you know, like... well, so we aren't talking about, uh, uh, you know, when everybody thinks of organized crime, they, they think of gangs. The, the, the biggest gang is the most powerful uh, kid on the block, so to speak. But uh, after I spoke to you, that's not what we're talking about here. No, and, and you know, there, there are definitely names that come up as, like, um, as kind of the major movers and shakers, but all pretty local guys, um, you know, with Bowling Green, even in, in Warren County, when Bowling Green decided to bring booze back, you know, they're selling to cities that are five, six minutes up the road, you know, dry. yeah, that are dry yeah. and other counties that are dry. And so, I mean, that was, it was just big money. And again, so they, they had it all just locked into a very con consolidated area. 
Yeah, very much so. Well, and then, you know, there were limited number of uh, liquor licenses at the time. So you had guys that were uh, more in with local and state politicians that were getting all these liquor licenses and, you know, just handing out a uh, uh, marked up hooch out of their uh, out of their uh, ah, excuse me, out of their uh, out of their bars and their uh, storage areas. You know, so, we're, so not I talking, even, we're not talking about gangs. We're talking about families. Yeah. And, and, they're, and they're actually killing each other over territory for pinball. Oh, there's pinball. There's guys that were dying because of pinball machines. I mean, they're obviously the slot machines, but over the booze. Um, one of the uh, in Gary's book here, you know, the murder on Younger's Creek Road. He went through this guy and interviewed 125, 126 people for this book. Some of them, the guys that were the uh, hit for hire guys using the dynamite to blow people up. Um, and in this one, um, the, this was a murder for hire. The guys that did it were from Bowling Green. They were trying to kill this guy um, uh, by the light, Dusty Rhodes, not the baseball player or the wrestler. It's just, I oh, guess, yeah. at that time, anybody with that name just got to be, with Rhodes, got to be Dusty, you know. Yeah. Um, these guys accidentally blew up his wife with a set charge in the barn of their house. And no one really got, aside from um, – you know, one of the guys that set the explosives, no one really got into any trouble for it. Uh, one guy named Jim Johnson, and I'll say the evil Jim Johnson, because there's, ironically enough, a really great Jim Johnson, who's a car dealer owner here at Bowling Green. But this other guy, uh, he and a buddy went in to buy this Dusty Rhodes auto dealership, and it was right when the Vietnam War was ending, because Fort Knox is right by Elizabethtown. So they weren't getting the influx of soldiers buying cars and E-Town was about an hour uh, north of Bowling Green. They're going through a pretty solid economic downturn. And these guys plotted using known hit guys here in Bowling Green to kill this dude to try to get the insurance money he had on the company. Just so wild hit, shit. So the hit guys were also local. Yeah, they're from Bowling Green. Everybody knew who they were. Yeah. Yeah, this one, I'll tell you an interesting story. There was a detective by the last name of, uh, actually got his name here. And this is bizarre because I was talking to my granddad. You know, I take care of granddad here in Bowling Green. And uh, by the church I grew up in, Glendale Baptist Church, there was this lot where you could just see the foundation. This uh, this cop was about, uh, Moody, he was about to really put a, uh, you know, uh, clamp down on the guys doing the uh, the car theft ring. And they blew his house up. It was right next to the church. The guy that blew that guy's house up was a congregant of my grandparents' church. Now, what he As did, was the cop's that was, wife. That was the cop? It was a cop's house. They were blowing up cop's houses here. Jesus. Yeah, man. It's a really bizarre story. And not a lot on it. So it, it, I'm really lucky that Gary's on because he's done all this tremendous legwork, you know, ATF agents. It was some I mean, federal issues. It was getting written about all over the U.S. Just so, how kind of wild. What about law enforcement? What did they do about all this? Uh, you know, there were a lot of there were a lot of cops uh, that were dirty that were found to be involved in it. Everything from, you know, sheriffs to police chiefs to detectives. I mean, there were. And again, this era, there weren't a lot of cops. I mean, you're looking at over like half these guys were on the take and the mentality for the ones not on the take were like, well, we'll leave it alone. The bad guys will just take themselves out, which, you know, never really works. Especially well, I mean, it sounds, it sounds very made. unorganized to me. It doesn't sound like organized <laughs> yeah. crime. Hello. Yeah, 
It's just it, it is. It's haphazard wildness. <laughs> That's really what it was, Johnny. It, uh, it was, and the more, like, reading his book, because, you know, again, I'm from here. It's like nothing fun's ever happened here. I mean, shit, even the name is boring. It's named after the old, like, Victorian bowling on the green. That's that's what the city's named after, like the most white bread dial tone city you could imagine. But then there's this whole era where it's like the Wild West. It's been a really interesting thing to get into. What what about the uh, local politicians? Now, I'm bringing this up because there was a, a pretty famous movie in the, in the 50s called Phoenix City. Okay. Okay. That, it was Phoenix City, Alabama, I believe. And what you're describing, this is a true story. Uh, it's, it's exactly what you're describing. Uh, no or limited law enforcement, corrupt politicians, no no law and order whatsoever. The bad guys, and they weren't organized. Like Gianni says, this is disorganized crime. They each decided, all, all these different families and individuals decided they were going to take over Phoenix City. And finally, one incorruptible a uh, federal prosecutor came down there and actually had to get the military down there to retake the city from the bad guys. So my really? question is... When, when was this, Pat? This was it. Well, this started uh, uh, after World War II because everybody had money after World War II. And Phoenix City became so corrupt that there was literally no law and order, no uh, no honest politicians. Everybody was on the take. Uh, the the homicide rate, and that's not too far from you. I mean, it's it's in a neighboring state. But when you talk about seven times the homicide rate, uh, and this is a this is a rate per hundred thousand. I mean, you look at uh, New York City in the mid nineteen eighties. Just the city, there were twenty four hundred uh, homicides. So, but you're dealing with a population of eight million people. You know, uh, it's seven times whatever your rate was down there, everybody knew somebody who got whacked. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, and that's part of the South, too. I mean, you know, you take a shit, everybody knows what color it is, right? I mean, that's just everybody <laughs> knows everybody. You know what I'm but saying? The bottom the line is what I'm hearing, too, though. When you start using dynamite to get rid of people, there's very little <laughs> evidence left. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's it. And, you know, I mean, the big thing was like, here, I've got a stat for you, right? So it, Bowling Green became wet in, again in 1957, right? Um, in the months following that vote to bring booze back to Bowling Green, they had 200 arrests for bootlegging. We're not even talking in the first year. We're talking like two, three months in. They're already arresting like hundreds of guys. And, and a lot of the violence were these cats that owned these uh, liquor distributors and whatnot in turf wars with each other. But you, you know, know so it's like Budweiser fighting cores with these guys. But they you know were I mean? 15, 17 years behind prohibition being legal. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, like different. It's, 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 it's like you're walking into a time warp. I know. Well, it's that's a, Kentucky, it's wild man. to follow it's, this. Well, and yeah. This is fairly, fairly recent history. So, all this, this, uh, this, this infighting between families, somebody, I would think, has to come out ahead here. You know, that's uh, so here's where it kind of gets really interesting. And uh, uh, Gary and I, uh, Gary West and I were kind of talking about it. But the more I get in, you don't even th- there's no history on it. It's not in museums. So there's a real the city's just kind of there's actually a, uh, a creek that used to go through town. I think it was called Whiskey Run. Oh, I got it here. Yeah, Whiskey Run. It's completely buried now. It's like gone. 
They made a road exactly. out of it. Yeah. They got it, yeah. They just what, buried what, the what, damn thing under hills. They use it for, like, flood runoff. You can't even see it. What'd they do? Bull- bulldoze the town? Uh, they bulldozed the history. <laughs> you know? I mean, wow. they buried that shit as deep as they could. So, um, Gianni, there's not uh, a lot of pictographic uh, evidence. Gianni, what do you think? That uh, we, we missed out on a lot growing up where we did. Uh, not me, no. I'm, I'm very I happy mean, you know, where I am. <laughs> Jake, it sounds, you know, Gianni and I grew up in the same area, a little Italy downtown, the Lower East Side. But what, what, it, what it sounds like to me is that there was no, there was no rules among the term bad guys. We, you know, yeah. I could say we, there was rules where we lived. There was things you couldn't do. You know, and, and even though they were cutting each other's throats and they were killing each other, you never committed a crime in a certain area. You never bothered anybody's family. And you certainly never blew up anybody's house. Oh, no. Well, you know, this is just rednecks with dynamite. And a lot <laughs> oh, of yeah. hooks, man. Well, that, you know, I, true, and they didn't have to aim. <laughs> That's it, yeah. You know, and I mean, these guys, uh, it's, it's real interesting. Because, I mean, you think, okay, shoot out, stuff like that. There was one, and it's in the book here. Um, a guy that owned like a local kind of construction joint made a snide comment to this guy who was a known, you know, criminal and all that. And uh, they just built a bomb and put it under his trailer, blew the damn thing up. And we're talking 31W bypass, which was the major highway in that era, you know, going, uh, it went from Kentucky all the way down to Florida. And now it's, we've got I-65 and uh, Bluegrass Parkway, you know, some major highways going through. But this is an era where there really wasn't any. Now, you're talking the 50s and 60s, right? Yeah. And, and, and no big convictions on any of this stuff? I mean, there were guys that definitely got pinched. Um, the uh, the guy that had a hand in blowing up uh, Miss Rhodes' house in the, uh, Gary's book here, he he's getting out. Actually, he just got out. Um, I think two years early for health. He was supposed to get out in 24, but he just got out. Um, but yeah, some of these guys, there were guys that killed themselves when they were up to, uh, you know, be prosecuted. And there were some guys that just never had any, uh, <laughs> never got the book thrown at them. Nothing, not so much as a parking ticket. Well, how, how about the, uh, how about after they blew up the cop's house? That, 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 that should have been a wake up call for law enforcement. Oh, Investigation yeah. ended. No arrests. No arrest. Now, as as time went on, you know, they got more cops and a lot of this stuff turned federal. You know, you had ATF come in, obviously, because of the oh, explosions. Yeah. You had FBI. But, I mean, they, they had to really lean on, uh, from what I'm seeing so far, you know, and again, I'm just barely cracking this thing open because it's just so bizarre. Um yeah, you had a lot of guys get away with it. You had known, you know, really well-known Southern families. One guy, they uh, – uh, they blew up part of his one of his uh, beer distributors where he was hiding pinball machines and stuff. And the cops came and saw all these pinball machines. He's like, oh, they must have put them in there. I had no idea they were there. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's all he had to say. It's like, that's not those aren't my machines. <laughs> you know I mean? So how did this why the this era come to a close? Uh, as more and more cities started uh letting booze be sold and the police force really up their game. It, it just kind of came to an end. I mean, really, but you know, it, I, it, it almost ended as abruptly as it started. Me being older than all of you guys, 
I, I know when Prohibition ended. I know who created and made most money. One of the guys that raised me, basically, Frank Costello, and uh, him and, and Joe, Joe Kennedy. We're talking about the 30s and 40s. You're talking about the 50s and 60s. That, that's Kentucky. Our state motto should be a day late and a dollar short. We're, <laughs> we're just about as back in time as you can get. As soon as you cross the line into Kentucky, it's like you go back 20, 30 years. Wow. Are there still... Are there still dry counties in Kentucky? Oh, yeah. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, this the college, Baptist, I suppose. That's why. It, the, religion, the religion, that's why. Oh, absolutely it is. Well, that's why Kentucky, it, 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 I think this is still the case, but, you know, Kentucky for a long time, and I think it is still the case, their number one export was wheat. Yeah. Kentucky will absolutely be the last state to ever, ever legalize it. We don't even have medical. Yeah, they get shut down every year. And a lot of that has to do with because the whiskey lobby is so strong that they're worried, you know, that if, if pot's legal, it's going to cut into whiskey. You know, and it, it'll always be that way here. It really is like sometimes 1960s politics here in 2022. And, and, and how about the religious aspect of it? Is it praise the Lord and pass the dynamite, that kind of thing? I mean, were these, were these, were these yeah. people... Were these people still religious and doing this? Yeah, the oh one guy, God, like yeah, I was yeah, telling yeah, you about, yeah. he went to church with my grandparents. They knew the guy, the guy that blew up the detective's house. The guy went to church, sat, you know, with the detective's wife and still blew up the damn house. Was well, at church every Sunday, donated, all that. Well, I, I, have, to, I mean, have to test it out, too, because Pat knows. I knew three popes, and I still had my life. And uh, they asked me a couple of times after I got involved in it two or three homicides, and how to justify it. And I said I was doing the Lord's work, and they let it there go. You. <laughs> there you go. Thinning, thinning the herd, so to speak. I got to give me some Catholicism, man. Probably, Baptists aren't that forgiving. <laughs> yeah. Man. Uh, Gianni, time to make some money. All right, we'll be right back. Excuse us, Jake, we got to make a few dollars. Absolutely. Nobody go away. I know where you live, and so does Pat. Yes. We'll be right back. I'm really excited to announce Parlor Casino Spa and Resorts in California. The phone number for reservations is 760-510-5100. I'll be there one night, October 1st, a Saturday night. Come and catch the show. It's an evening you can't refuse. And I guarantee you, when you leave, you will be amazed at what you're going to see. Remember... Pala Casino and Spa Resorts, 760-510-5100, October 1st. Okay, your story been, is fascinating. Yeah, we've been talking to Jake uh, Milken. I mean, I've known Jake uh, for 12 years. And we often talk about uh, criminal things and, and uh, uh, different aspects of crime. But uh, Jake has a, a very colorful career in journalism. And uh, he's a, a well-respected documentarian. Uh, and it, he started out as an actor. And this is something I didn't uh, fully understand until we, we spoke recently. Uh, so to, to shift away from crime, because crime petered out so to speak tell us about tell us about yourself 
and what, what, what pictures you were in and, and uh, TV series and how you got involved in this. You come from a small town. I mean, yeah. there are people, I mean, there are people that Johnny and I know and a lot of people know that uh, work all their lives just to find an agent. You, you were in some major motion pictures here. You know, I got really lucky, man. I, uh, I was shooting a documentary with a friend of mine, and we stopped in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And, and I'm not going to lie to you. I had the best damn breakfast I've ever had in my life. And I'm at this place called The Pantry on Cerritos Road with the main drags. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to move to Santa Fe. So I came back. Just for breakfast? That was a damn good breakfast, Johnny. I'm telling you, man. I, I, that, I must have been some, that must have been some eggs and sausage, man. Oh, I'm telling you. Durango omelet with green chili sauce and red chili potatoes and biscuits and gravy. It's all you need. Okay. It's all you need. So where did you move to? Uh, so I moved to Santa Fe. Um, I just figured, you know, the idea initially was, well, I think it'll be easier to like kind of make a name for myself in acting. I wanted to write. That was the whole goal. But acting and film seem more, I guess, logical and attainable than, you know, breaking through and being a writer. Um, and I, I was not totally aware of it at the time, but New Mexico was one of the first states to really go heavy into the uh, statewide film incentives, you know, where they offer a lot of tax cuts for uh, films that come in and shoot. And uh, I started working at the Santa Fe Playhouse. I had actually just got done with doing uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, uh, directed by a good friend of mine, Liam Lockhart, there at the Playhouse. You and know, I you got my... Go ahead. When when you and I were discussing this, uh, Glenn Gary, uh, Glenn Ross, Johnny, if you're not uh, uh, familiar with it, I'm so familiar uh, what, with it. I thought he was in the movie. He was in a play locally. Yeah, it was what, written by David Mamet. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I wish I'd have been in the movie though. I man. mean, you know, let's let's put it in its perspective. Yeah, he's in a play. <laughs> well, it, it was a play before it was a movie, and I tell you, uh, David Mamet is known for his dialogue. Everything is dialogue in that, and. Yeah. You have to really know what you're doing to, to hold your own. You have to get a part in that, that picture. As the, as the janitor probably had about three pages of oh, dialogue. Uh, well, see, so that was that was my second play ever. My my resume was total bullshit, right? So, I mean, it was really just plays I'd read, and I'd pick the smallest character. Like, you know, Death of a Salesman, I wouldn't say in Biff or Happy, you know, yeah. or saying Willie Loman at the age of 21. So I got lucky enough to get cast, and, yeah, I got an agent, and – um Got what part did you play? Like, do what? What part did you play? I saw the movie uh, many times. Oh, I played the Ricky Roma part, man. Al Pacino's part. Wow. The slick salesman. Yeah, it was great. And it was horrifying because it was my second play ever. And, you know, it starts off with like a 12-page monologue. Yeah. This is David Mamet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that's one of those moments where it's like, I might want to reevaluate what I've chosen to do. You must have great memory, <laughs> you know, though. Oh yeah, I can I can memorize a play when I sit down two or three days and then it's there. That's great. That's great. You know, roll in, yeah. It, it's a really good. That's skill the one to thing have, that man. was my benefit as a new actor. Also, I retain and I used to give Copel pages. What Johnny? What page is that on? I used to tell him get him crazy. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wow. I could do that. I could do that too. It's just I read it and it sticks there. It's a you know. how did how did, how did you know the, uh, my first uh, exposure to uh, to Jake here was in the first season of Breaking Bad. I said this guy looks awfully familiar. And it's how did you wind up in Breaking Bad? 
So I had, uh, I've been, I had this great agent, Vince Pooley, since passed away, and he was great, you know, real kind of bulldog-looking guy, always chewing a stub, just kind of what you imagine an agent should be like, you know, the guy always on the phone yelling, getting you to the work. Vince was awesome. Um, I was driving to Albuquerque, which is about an hour from Santa Fe going down. I hope they had good breakfast there, too. Do what? They have good breakfast there, too. Oh, absolutely. The frontier (laughs) over by campus. Best breakfast burrito you'll ever have, man. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I was driving this green green Cadillac DeVille that my great-grandparents had given me when I drove out there. They were like, well, you should look good pulling up in this. Well, the fucking thing broke down in the middle of the desert on I-25 about three miles from the audition. And so I call my agent. I'm like, hey, man, the green meanie done died. Um, and it was for this part I got in Breaking Bad. And he's like, I'll tell him you're not coming. I was like, oh, no, I'll make it. So I, like, take my dress shirt off, you know, tie it around the waist and just start sprinting across the highway to go onto the, you know, on on ramp to get to this audition. I'm carrying my headshots. You know, as soon as I get up the ramp, the semi drives by, pulls the headshots out of my hand, runs my face over. So there's just big tire tracks of my professional headshots, you know. Oh, wow. And I'm not a... I'm not a runner. I'm a pack a day smoker. I'll run to a bar, but uh, I'm not trying to sprint. You know, I'm not going to be winning any medals. But I got there, drenched in sweat, went in, memorized the lines. Uh, The director, I think it was uh, Terry Gillian, maybe? No, I can't remember. Anyway, I walk in, and the guy's like, are you the one? Everybody was talking about me running there. He's like, are you the guy that ran here? I'm in a Yoohoo t-shirt sweat coming out of places i didn't know you could sweat and i was like no i just get really nervous performing in front of people <laughs> and uh and yeah that's how i got the part it was uh it, it, it was great you know and well, i, I know kind of, breaking bad i never watched it but so you i never had, did either you had a big big part in that uh no it was just a day player part um, oh, 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 oh yeah it was actually interesting because at the time they were going to cancel the show. So it was episode seven of the first season. I, I, my character's name was Perspective House Buyer Number One. I got called a bitch on national television, you know, which is a huge, <laughs> you know, a huge uh, laugh here at home. But um, yeah, it was great. I got to be in that scene with Aaron Paul and really see for the first time, like how sets on that scale look and, really understand you know the whole hurry up and wait that comes with film because it takes forever oh yeah to man. do anything talking about a guy that did 46 of them yeah you know what i'm talking about yeah. you get in a lot of naps and reading man that's right man. <laughs> that's how so I what did that my lead business. to <laughs> um you know one thing led to another i was in uh i got i was up for a I was up for a co-starring part in a lifetime movie called sex and lies in sin city about the murder of ted binion and uh, they said I look too mean to be the journalist, which is funny because I am a journalist. You're talking so about maybe a, a cop. You're talking about yeah. a friend of mine, Ted Binion. Really? Oh yeah, my. Oh, you know his, his, his father, Benny Binion. Forget about it. The whole group. It was. I got to. I got the good fortune after I did that part. I was one of the first cops on the scene with the body. And you know, it had Matthew Modine in it that played oh, yeah. Teddy. That was a big movie. I, mean, I know it well. I yeah. Know, Nobody had more silver dollars buried in the world than him. <laughs> it's a yeah. crazy story, man. When I was out in Vegas, uh, this is way back when, but uh, when I was moving out to Los Angeles, a buddy of mine, real estate guy uh, that was out in Vegas, took me to Ted Binion's house. 
And that place is wired like Fort Knox, man. Yep. You know, the, yep. the, te- the screen room and all the mounds were all had oh, the yeah. flags where people were like going over to try to find his treasure and everything. It's a really bizarre story. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that that to me, I mean, they're, they're lucky the father wasn't alive. You know, the father used to shoot people in the street down on down on uh, down in old Vegas on, front, on Frontier Street. They were nuts when they were organizing originally. That's when the right after the Second World War, and then they built the dam, and that's where all these guys were getting paid and losing all their money to them, and that's yeah. they were actually afraid, afraid of uh, the mob coming there, so that's when they gave the permission for them to build out in the valley, which was Flamingo Road, <laughs> and now that that's bigger than downtown, you know. It was crazy you know, what if, was going on. If people have, ha, don't know the story or haven't seen the movie, it's, it's, the story's been told many times. Benny Binion dies and his son uh, took over the empire, really couldn't handle it. The guy liked his drugs, he liked his women, he liked everything. Uh, he he buried... Well, you tell the story, Jake. Um, you know, and, and Gianni, you're going to have to fill in a lot because I don't know a ton about it, but yeah, he, uh, he was big at... If memory serves, he's like big into heroin. I think that's what they oh used God, to finally... Yeah. And yeah, that, that's what, and a lot of the guys used that to get to him. And the one girl, I forgot the last girl, the one that was living with him, she was the one that gave him up. She had like a million dollars in silver dollars herself. It was crazy. Yeah, well, and you know, the story always was that he just had it because they got caught trying to dig up one of the things, right? I mean, right. they were out in the middle of the desert, oh, yeah. about, like a bulldozer and all that shit. In the yeah, middle of the night know, with the- lights on, like nobody's going to see them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't even have to be uh, an intuitive cop. You know, this cop drives past the, this uh, search lights around. They got bulldozers out there in the middle of the desert. So the cop is just naturally curious. You know, what are they building another hotel here in the middle of nowhere? He goes up to the, to the uh, this was the girlfriend's, uh, boyfriend, and it was, right. they they had already whacked the son, uh, and now they're looking for the gold. But this wasn't, you know, somebody went out there with a shovel. Uh, he had, you know, like an acre of of silver buried. Right. So they go out there with a bulldozer. The cop goes up to him and says, you know, excuse me, but what are you guys doing here? We said they were digging for water. And so the, the, <laughs> so, the so the cop, not being brain damaged, figured he's got something here. Anyway, they were digging up Junior's gold, uh, silver rather. Right. Well, I know they did a they did a lot of shows where they would like. Uh, I mean, when I went when I got to see his house, you know, they had it all staked off because A and E I think did something where it was that like mystery search for oh, yeah, big silver yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Where is it all? So you you transitioned. I mean, you uh, you you had quite a career here, and and you're only 24 years old. I tell you, you look good. Anyway, <laughs> you, you you transitioned. From what we just uh, spoke about, a very prolific writer, uh, very, uh, you know, a good reputation in the business. Now you want to be a producer. Yeah, you know, it was after, I'll tell you what the shift was. Um, you know, I was in Pittsburgh and I had gotten cast because uh, I'd moved to Pittsburgh after teaching a few years, teaching film in Oakland, Cal- uh, Oakland, California. I got cast in this movie that was supposed to be a horror flick, right? And I got cast as this British guy. He was a part of a two-man team, you know, and I was, I got the, I think I got the part because I may or may not have gotten into a bit of an altercation after a Steelers game and just had this great shiner. And so I walk into this audition for this movie 
to do the British accent, and I get it. Well, about 45 days into a movie that never got finished, and it dawned on us that the uh, the horror element of this uh, that the director had in the movie, they were giant zebra mussels that had infested uh, the rivers of Pittsburgh. So you're... You know, your oh, monster was a sedentary creature. And so the only time people were getting hurt is like hitting one of these damn things like a jet ski or something, right? It was just, movie never got done. I, 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 I don't know how it got started. Yeah. She, she had money and made spend it herself. That's, oh, that, that's what like it was. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, but after that, I was like, you know, I'm tired of being in other people's stuff. I want to give it a go. So I did my, uh, my first flick, uh, Meltdown. It just got re-released about a year and a half ago, Berserkers. Uh, just total 80s-style schlock zombie flick. And I, that was my first one. And it's, it's just a lot of fun doing your own, you know. And I think, especially now on the independent side, at the accessibility of technology and how many platforms. Oh, my God, yeah. You can really, you can do it and do it your own way. No, you a young to producer today, it's a young producer's dream because there's so many outlets. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you can self-publish if you want, self-distribute. There's just a, there's so many film festivals. There's a lot of way to get yeah. your and yeah. all these places are starving for content. You know, well, so, I mean, all, really and they don't care. You know, that's the whole thing. They, they oh, take, absolutely. You know, A, B, C, D films. They don't care as long as it's you know they have content and people go on their network and they say, "Wow, well, we they have four thousand horror films on this," and they they got oh, it. Oh yeah, you're done. It's like, it's like Tubi, you know, they're like the lead for independent horror. Um, but they are, they really are, man. Mine's on there. But uh, yeah, so I, I'd done that uh, prior to doing it. You know, I had shot uh, interviews for actually the project uh, that I'm doing now. It's coming out uh, about Hunter S. Thompson, you know, the guy who wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Hell's Angels, uh Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, 1972, Nixon McGovern. He's described as the uh, the least factual and most accurate political journalist ever. You and know, you're doing his great... life story now? Uh, yeah, I just finished a documentary. We're actually doing a really cool thing in L.A. at the Artist Tree. It's this uh, half, it's a weed dispensary slash art gallery in West <laughs> Hollywood, this place. Only, only in Hollywood, man. Yeah, man, it's, it's awesome. Um but yeah, I've been working on that doc for about 10 years. And, you know, I, I, it's not a traditional cut. Uh, the doc's called Doomed, Hunter S. Thompson's American Dream. And, you know, with a guy like that, it was so much larger than life. A lot of the focus has been on kind of that persona, the drug-crazed, wild man, that gonzo Raul Duke. Um, and my doc looks at his relevance. I mean, the guy, you know, who, who can walk around and say, hey, I created my own form of journalism. I mean, the guy was a prolific writer. He changed the face of journalism. He was a great political analyst, sports writer, uh, social activist. I mean, just a, one of those iconic characters, especially in the American literary canon. You didn't Johnny so, Depp play in a, in, a, in a feature film? Uh, he's played him twice. He played him in uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and then in the film adaptation of Hunter's only like novel, like fiction novel, Rum Diary. Wow. Yeah, and then Bill Murray played him in 80. You know, for him and you guys, just for you to boast about that. Yeah, he's, you know, it's been a lot of fun. And and the way I've cut the doc, um, we're we're doing something new. Actually, Johnny, speaking to what we were talking about earlier, especially if you're an independent guy, 
how the world's kind of your oyster. I'm working with this great couple, uh, Robert and Angela. They're with Why Not Coco in L.A. Um, we're we we're using the whole NFT thing and seeing how it plays in film. You know, not a, there there's kind of a movement toward that. I know Kevin Smith and uh, Spike Lee are thinking about. Have said they're going to do. You know their next releases as, as NFTs. So explain, explain to what, some of our listeners who don't know what an NFT is. So the NFTs, and, and I, I want to preface this before getting involved in all this. Anything Bitcoin, any of that. It's like if I can't touch it, it's not money. You oh, yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Well, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like so. You're telling me I have it, but I can't touch it. Yeah. You know? right. But um, NFTs take that point and it's like artwork is stocks it's non-fungible tokens and so uh, you've seen them like madonna's done them johnny depp actually released some a few weeks ago um people are doing these digital art pieces and selling them and then you know when somebody buys them they, that person could turn around and keep up in the price and reselling it where it works like stocks but it's very art centric it's called pyramiding <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is, man. That's exactly what the thing is. And it's a new version um, of it. <laughs> that's right. And just a lot more flashy and colorful yeah. and digital, you know? Yeah. Um, and so what we did is I did 10 pieces of original artwork that in lieu of like, you know, old school gallery having paintings on canvas, we're going to have each piece on a 60 inch flat screen in the second story of, uh, you know, artistry there we're doing it on september 24th um we're gonna have that set up and then the rest of the event is set up like a museum uh exhibit we're gonna we've got in the middle like a black box where people can go and sit in there and you know we'll all be stoned too because it's in the smoking lounge of this place that's why i wanted to do it there <laughs> it's like okay what better way to keep them at a show right boom <laughs> you can smoke Good up weed. in the lounge yeah i don't know so, about free so uh, just so uh, our listeners totally understand it, so you have, you basically have 10 clips. Yeah, so that's what we did. Instead of doing the traditional just like static image, uh, we've kind of designed these pieces and all relate to the work of Dr. Thompson and themes that he wrote about, like oh, Death so of the American in that vein. Huh? It's in his vein of life. Yeah, it's in his vein, and it's based off themes that are in the... Uh, um, documentary as well so for instance um there uh, you know the where his gonzo style of journalism was created was in the kentucky he, his article he wrote for scanlon monthly about the kentucky derby and he and a british writer british artist ralph stedman went to try to identify like the really horrible whiskey drunk rich kentucky crowd at the derby Oh, wow. And by the end of it, they'd gotten so fucked up over the weekend that Hunter just had a loose scribbling of like notes and started feeding those in to the mojo wire. And Scanlon's printed it and hailed it as this great achievement in journalism. You know, uh, there's a great interview with Thompson where he's like, I thought it was a failure. I didn't think I was ever going to work again. It's a great piece. Now, does he still have a, a huge following? Is that that's what you're basing all this on? You know, yeah, he does. And, and part of the reason that I wanted to do my doc, A, we're both Kentuckians. Uh, he's from Louisville. Um, he, um, over the years, he's like a pop culture icon. You know, you'll see like the college kids with posters like Che Guevara and have no clue who Che Guevara is. It's just some cool shit they put on T-shirts. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's kind of like, you know, and that's how Hunter's legacy has gone a lot. It's like, 
it's that pop culture anti-establishment kind of vibe but the man was a brilliant writer and so what i'm hoping to do with this doc and with this event the way we're doing it is people come in and can actually see his relevance and see how much shit he was actually writing about and was involved in i mean this guy was at you know the uh, 68 democratic national convention with the police riots in chicago he was covering nixon and you know nixon was (laughs) his arch nemesis he was there for the kennedy assassination both robert and jack I mean, the it's guy, so funny, you know, as you're talking, Jake, so was I. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Small world. Pat, Pat wrote about it. <laughs> I read the book. Oh, OK. Oh, then, you know, oh, you're the guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I, I knew somebody read that book. Yeah. OK. But well, um, we've but been yeah, blessed so, with that book. Tell you. Yeah, we have. <laughs> oh, I was I was telling Pat, it's, it's amazing to know, like, from when it came out. And when I read it to where it's taken you guys, oh, it's, it's been a really cool thing to watch. Watch where yeah, we're going we, now, man. It's amazing. It's really yeah. We're, we're, we're coming out with the Gianni Russo fiction series. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. The yeah. yeah, first book will be out uh, around Christmas. And uh, we uh, we hope to put out one or two a year. It's going to be a wild ride. And in, in the, uh, the, the opening page, uh, sort of a disclaimer, uh, Gianni writes, uh, this is a work of fiction, except for the parts that are true. <laughs> it's a it's, new it's hook. to read it to figure it's it out. A... And this way, we don't get sued. We can always fall back. <laughs> That's fiction. You know, we do it, you know. Well, and you know, it's funny you, you put it that way, because that was kind of Hunter's thing, too, right? That Gonzo style is putting himself in the middle of the story and then writing the journalistic bit about it. Right. And so it was always trying to figure out did this shit actually happen or is he making it up to try to prove a point? You know, I mean, that was one of the things with it. So, I mean that, so that's the LA thing in a nutshell, we're doing these great cool NFTs. They're on a website called open C just under like uh, doomed Hunter S Thompson's American dream. Same as the uh, same as the doc. And then that night on the uh, doomed doc, Instagram page, the, uh, doomed hunter s thompson's american dream instagram i'm going to release the first episode of the doc it's a nine episode series i did it short form you know I, i'm kind of calling it a documentary you can walk away from so wh- then how I many minutes it. is each form uh each episode's about nine minutes okay. and I, i'm just curious and that's you know, about the point, intention span of somebody that's stoned that's about right, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I can tell you, as somebody that was stoned cutting it, that's about when I got tired of cutting it. <laughs> that's wild, man. So, so yeah. uh, uh, t- uh, tell the uh, all listeners again when this is going to be, where it's going to be. Um, so the uh, the uh, gallery show and museum exhibit will be held on September 24th, starting at 6 p.m. Uh, in Los Angeles at the Artistry um, in West Hollywood. Um, for more, and people can keep up with us again on the uh, doomed Hunter S. Thompson's American Dream Instagram page. That's doomed. That's doomed. D o o m e d. Doomed. Yeah, doomed. Yeah, one of Hunter's favorite words to use and <laughs> describing you know where things were headed. And then also that night, starting at six and for twenty four hours, you know I'm going to release episode one. And you know the hope is to find one platform that like a freebie or to be just one to work with yeah which is why i'm doing it this way you know 
because it's like with the zombie flick, you know, Berserkers, it's out there on like 50 different platforms. I don't even know what platforms the damn thing is on at this point because there's just so many. Well, you, you sent me a copy. I, I loved it, man. Very campy. Well, you're in it, too. Oh, yeah. The zombie yeah. flick. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 80s style all the way, man. Yeah, really good. So uh, t- t- tell me when you're going to uh, get here to Pittsburgh so we can get together finally. I know, man. Um, you know, when hopefully all go well and we'll have a good home for Hunter. And I'm hoping for the uh, Bowling Green Doc. Uh, we're calling it Little Chicago. Figured why not? The media did the name for us. Roll sure. with it. Um, man, I'd like to try to come out sometime in the fall and catch a Steelers game. I'm curious about how uh, how young Lord from Pitt's going to do this season. All right, well, you got, my, you got my number, pal. Just give me a call. And we want to we wanna thank you. This has been one interesting show. Yeah, I mean, I mean we, it's uh, you know, really. We've been around. We've been around over four years. And truthfully, we've never had anybody like you on the show, which and is great. I'm just good. I mean, it's a good variety for us. So thank it's you. It's a good we, thing. We appreciate. Oh, I had a blast. Time. This is this is my first podcast. What better way to start it than with you guys? Right? There you go, man. All right. There you go. You're gonna make us famous. Well, Jay, hey, thank, thank, thank you so much, much, man. I hey, really thank you guys. It, I'm gonna try to come out and surprise you in in September. I'm I'm around there then. Hey, I'd love it, man. All right, great. That'd All be right. great. Jake, thank you so thank much. Thank you Have so much. Hey, thanks, Bye-bye. guys. All right, please. Okay. We're going to take a commercial break. We're coming back. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar, from Modena, Italy. Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces. Marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com That's CorleoneFineItalian.com Oh, we're back from the commercial. And we'll talk to you next week. We want to say thank you. Don't forget to tell your friends. We need the cards and the letters. We're going to get to a mailbag show soon. We need more content and more ideas for more shows. Pat, thank you for a great show again tonight. Okay, uh, thank you, my friend. We've had a good one. Always, please. Okay, I'll be in touch. Have a good night, Johnny. All right, good night. You too. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell Thank me you for I'll tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Don't be afraid, you can call me. 
maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.